Good morning, Crosswood Online. It is really great to be with you this morning. And my prayer and my aim this morning is for us to uh, look deeply into the Word of God. Um, because the Word promises us that as we look deeply and intently into it, it will actually give us freedom. And that freedom is uh, the freedom that comes about when we grow in wisdom about uh, the truth about ourselves, as well as the truth about God's great salvation through uh, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that is my great desire and prayer is that you will uh, become more free uh, and uh, uh, and that we will experience and enjoy uh, the grace of God even more. So we are currently uh, working our way through the book of Samuel uh, and we are in, as we've called, uh, season two of Samuel that is looking at uh, the rise and the decline of Saul from chapters 9 to chapters 15, all, uh, all in all. Um, and we are today going to do what we call um, episode 5b, uh, looking at the second half of chapter 13 and 14. And so last week we looked at the whole idea of uh, the reality of the difference between uh, uh, Jonathan and Saul, whereas Jonathan was a man of faith, and we saw that Saul was not, and we looked at the heart uh, of faith uh, and really captured for us in uh, chapter uh, 14, uh, verse 6, uh, where Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And there we saw in one sense, fantastic, uh, brilliant, wonderful um, uh, understanding of faith. Faith is uh, the realization that God can act uh, any way he likes, that we can't presume upon him and we can't force him and perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Uh, that's the one side of it. The other side is the absolute confidence that for nothing is impossible for God, uh, that God can bring about a great salvation uh, with many or with few. Um, and it's with that perhaps and that also comes hope that perhaps uh, God will act uh, according to his promises and his word. And that is what Jonathan uh, takes. He realizes God has told them to uh, attack uh, the Philistines. They are God's enemies, not so really so much uh, Jonathan's, and that uh, God is the one who is the God of salvation. And uh, he then uh, steps out and acts upon it. And God actually brings about a great salvation uh, as we read in verses 15 um, and in verse 23. So today we want to grow further in our understanding of faith, but uh, doing uh, the thing, uh, looking at it from the other angle. And we're looking at the signs and the realities and the unintended consequences of uh, unbelief. Um, and that's uh, where we will focus a little bit more on Saul as we read this. So I want to pick up and verse, from verse 23 and just read a section. Um, and it's quite important for us to kind of get the feel uh, for it and to listen carefully uh, to what is being said um, and it's usually also what is not being said. Uh, so let's read. I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 23. On that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Aven. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, Cursed be everyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods and there was honey on the ground. 
When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared an oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took uh, from their enemies would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater. That day, after the Philistines had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Aijalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and, taking sheep, cattle and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, Go out among the men and tell them, Each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, Let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn, and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, Let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, Shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But no one of them said a word. Saul then said to all the Israelites, You stand over there, I and Jonathan my son will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, Why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is in me or my son Jonathan, respond with Urim. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with Thummim. Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot, and the men were cleared. Saul said, Cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me, what have you done? Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff. Now I must die? Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew to their own land. So 
Here we find this incredible story, and it really focuses on uh, the effects and the consequences and the interesting uh, realities of what it looks like when someone does not have faith in God, uh, with a great focus here on Saul. And so we need to almost start a little bit earlier uh, to get the whole drift. When one does not have faith in God's ability to do and act according to God's promises, uh, one is, tends to be filled with uncertainties and with haphazard starts and stops. And we see that actually in chapter 14, verse 16. Uh, Saul lookouts at Gibeah tells him that the guys are melting away. The, the, the Philistines are running for it dead. Uh, Saul then says, well, let's uh, get the men together and muster the forces and let's see who is left and who is here. And he wants to count his men. Uh, something we'll see later in Samuel uh, is never a good idea uh, to kind of count your men because that means you put more trust in men than in God himself. And so uh, then he, they discover that Jonathan and his armor bearer is not there. And this is now the third time we are told him. Obviously, as you read the story so far, you would realize uh, why that is so important. And then Saul uh, still doesn't get into and he, and he says, OK, let's get the Ark of God. And he tells uh, Jihad to get the Ark. And, and then they're starting to get the things together. And um, and then he says, oh, but the guys are even melting away even faster. There's more confusion. And then he says, OK, stop it, stop it. So you see, Saul is a man who starts and stops. He He's a man full of uncertainty. Uh, and then in verse 20, he and his men join, and then they are joined with those who actually went over to the Philistines and even from Ephraim. And then there was this great uh, victory so far, uh, moving the people from Michmash to Beth Aven, uh, which is to the northeast uh, from uh, Michmash. And then suddenly we are told in verse 24, now the Israelites were in distress that day, which is such a funny comment to make. If you don't understand, uh, having the victory, God is causing all the fighting. The guys are so panicked, they kill one another. The fact that Israel doesn't have swords and spears is almost not important because the Philistines are killing uh, one another. And then we are told, because Saul had bought, bound the people under an oath, saying, cursed is be everyone who eats food uh, before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So here we see uh, that Saul, the man uh, of unbelief, the man who did not have the faith to act and to take God on his word and obey God right in front in chapter 13, uh, the man who starts and stops, the man who's uncertain, the man who's grabbing this, grabbing that, um, uh, suddenly we are told of this interesting oath that he made. And it seems like if you have to, this is a flashback, uh, most likely the oath was taken between verse 19 and verse 20, as they were about to set out, and after you stop the ark, he says to the guys, now we're going to fight. But now, because he's so, so unsure, Saul goes over uh, into a kind of extreme mode, if we can call it. And he actually makes a very ludicrous uh, oath, a very curse. Uh, to place people under a curse is to place them under God's judgment. And he says, uh, God's judgment is upon my people, uh, in one sense. Uh, which is really weird, and they're going to have to fight, and when you fight and you're energized and you're busy, uh, you burn a lot of calories, I guess, and it seems like Saul is uh, so confused, he is so worried now, he's so keen to have his uh, victory, that he literally uses the fear of God in a negative sense uh, to motivate people, which seems quite odd, and uh, as you read Saul's story, and remember in the past, when Saul went out to the Ammonites and fought them, he also used fear, uh, to in, get people to stand with his side. So he's unsure about his calling. He's unsure about his God. He's unsure that God is on his side. And so he binds people by fear uh, because of unbelief. Try to influences people and motivates people and gets people in on his act now that he's finally decided to join uh, by fear. 
Uh, when one does not have faith in God, one has to try and uh, get control of people. And often fear is a really good thing. And as the king, it was probably much easier for him to do that. But I want you to notice something else in his language that tells us uh, the sad reality of what happens when one does not have faith uh, in God. And specifically in this context, look carefully at his language. He says, curse be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I avenge myself on my enemies. Fascinating, isn't it? All about me, 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 me. No reference to God. It's not God's enemies that God has called him to uh, take out. It's uh, I must avenge myself on my enemies. Unbelief places you in the center and God on the peripheral. And that's what we see here. Here he comes with this really interesting act, uh, binding people uh, to a curse to get them to fight with him. And so the story quickly develops. You see this uh, honey oozing out and you kind of, the whole way it's written, it's like it's everywhere and it's just, it's just imagine the smell. You've been running, you've been fighting, uh, you've got no energy left and there's honey's there and everybody's too scared to take it. Jonathan obviously hasn't been there. He comes and he puts it in his mouth and then he's told, listen, your dad put a curse on us. Um, and there's a little statement by one of the army men right at the end of verse 28. That is why the men are faint. It's a kind of a, this is a sad reality. We could have been strengthened. And Jonathan then says it. He says outright the reality. The distress is because my father has made trouble for the country. If the honey strengthened me this much to fight, uh, how much more would it strengthen everybody if they could eat and fight? Um, and then he makes the obvious statement. The unintended consequences of binding people by fear to your war instead of believing God and getting everybody who's persuaded by God's grace to join in this war. Um, means that the fight wasn't as successful and as uh, as uh, clear as it could have been. He asked right at the end of verse 30, who would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? And the answer is an obviously yes. It's a kind of a rhetorical question. Uh, if the men were energized and excited and uh, uh, full of faith and full of hope and full of uh, certainty. And and so unbelief uh, is quite a, it's quite, quite a devastating effect, isn't it? And then it gets even worse. Saul's Further, unintended consequences of his stupidity, uh, actually, and his unbelief, makes the men sin. So from verse 31 on, we are told that the men were so ravenously hungry at the end of the day, which seems maybe that's when the curse stopped. They grabbed any of the spoils and just slaughtered and ate them, and they ate with the blood in it. One of the great sins uh, that was they prohibited by God uh, much earlier in the Old Testament. Again, as Saul is obtuse, he's not aware of going on. One of the men has to come and tell him, hey, listen here, the people are sinning by doing this. Then suddenly Saul jumps into action. Uh, he says, come, let's put a stone here and let us actually uh, bring and slaughter the animals here. And as long as we do that, everything's going to be fine. And it seemed like uh, uh, he, verse 35, makes a comment. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. And then he says, okay, now that we've done a little bit, uh, let's go on and let's go and fight further. Let's now go and take these guys on. Now he's kind of convinced that he's done the right thing uh, and uh, his men are now energized. Um, and the really sad thing about verse 35 is that uh, uh, there's a bit of ambiguity in the verse. Uh, it says, then Saul actually started to build an altar to the Lord. And then it was the first time that he had done it. It's a little bit of a free translation. A bit of a play, this is just an issue that we can maybe develop later. Really interesting, uh, it, there is a play on the word that can mean he began to do it, so it's saying it twice. So before he's done it, 
Saul is already ready to go on and fight further. There's another way of reading it is that he actually profaned uh, God by building an altar uh, where he allowed the people to slaughter. But there is no, what is absent is that there's no burnt offerings and there are no sin offerings uh, to take away the sin that has already been committed. So it seems like Saul uh, hears and understands some of God's word and uh, acts on some of it and not on the others and then he thinks everything's fine which seems to be one of the effects of when one lives by unbelief is that one is confused about what God says and what God requires and uh, in this case uh, Saul does a kind of a job uh, he kind of starts and he doesn't finish uh, uh, however one needs to read verse 35 but you get the drift unbelief makes one kind of aware of God's word and try and rectify things, but never actually following through and being clear and precise with the word of God. And that's what we see in Saul here. And then Saul wants to go and fight, and then he needs to be reminded, and the priest says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a, this a war stopped. Things are now not the same anymore. Uh, let's ask God if he wants to actually do this. Um, and we see that the reality of this whole uh, debauched, uh, half-baked, uh, sacrifices on the altar kind of come to the fore in verse 37 he asked God should I go up with God and God is silent the very thing that Samuel said if you and your king sin you will cry out to God on that day and he will not answer you and so we get a quite a clear indication that Saul is quite obtuse about God he is not aware of God he does his own thing he puts himself central he makes a ridiculous uh, fearful uh, 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 commands uh, he thinks he has rectified the wrong that people have done uh, and yet he hasn't um, and so here Saul suddenly another, another thing comes up Saul is very aware okay the fact that God has answered somebody must have sinned and he uh, and you're like what <laughs> you're like think what <laughs> who is not sinned today uh, you've sinned Saul uh, your all your army has sinned uh, there's only one guy who hasn't sinned and we're going to discover who he is right now uh, but that's so fascinating uh, anybody reading the story would have said, wow, don't you know who is the person who's actually sinned? And then Saul goes in and he makes another oath. This is the second oath he makes, verse 39. And surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if the guilt lies on my son Jonathan, he must die. And one doesn't know why he's saying that. Is it because he thought that Jonathan sinned by not being there uh, when Jonathan actually the guy who started the war? Uh, how informed is Saul? We're not sure. Um, but he is kind of brave and boisterous and yeah you know anybody who has sinned and broken uh the, the word uh, he must die uh, and then Saul goes on and he does the uh, urim and tumim uh, it's a kind of a, a casting of lots again that they've used in those days there's quite a long debate about it and tonight maybe uh, we can chat about it if you want to know but it's a way of just figuring out is it yes or no and who does it fall on and doesn't fall on the men, it falls on Saul and Jonathan, and then Jonathan is taken. And then uh, Saul actually asks uh, him, tell me what you've done. I mean, it's the same as Samuel, what have you done? And uh, Jonathan, unlike Saul in chapter 13, Saul pushes it around, excuses himself, tells how hard-pressed he was, how he couldn't do anything else. And Jonathan just states the facts and one says, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, now I must die. So... Jonathan, difficult to know if he's, if he's being sarcastic. I mean, I took a little bit of honey with my staff as I now die, or it's an exclamation mark as we have it in the NIV. It's difficult. It's kind of a play. Uh, but Jonathan just goes straight forward. He says, this is what I've done, and now must I die? Uh, or I must now die? Um, fascinating, isn't it? 
and the word that he disobeyed was a word of a king and not the word of God. And here Saul comes again, uh, overbearing, uh, uh, it, it, wrong in his thinking, wrong in his appreciation, wrong in his, his judgment and evaluation of things. Verse 44, may God deal with me. Uh, that becomes really serious, isn't it? Now you're calling God to deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. And so here, Saul puts a curse on himself. He's, he's trying to prove that he's such a great man and he's done what is right. Uh, no awareness. The irony is he's not aware of any of his own sin. He is not aware of any of his own wrongs. He is just aware of somebody broke my word and God is on my side and God may do with me what I now want to do with you. I want to kill you for breaking my word, which is a ridiculous command, which he didn't know about uh, and eating honey. Can you see how unbelief makes enemies within God's people and people set themselves up and become oblivious and unaware of their own failures and their own weaknesses and wants to kind of do God's will and wants to show that they can do God's will, but they get the whole cat by the tail and get it the wrong way around. And so in an amazing, wonderful thing, all these men who have been so compliant, so afraid, they kept on doing everything that Samuel uh, Saul has said, and they've kept twice said to him, do what is best in your sight now. Now the story tells us, I mean, the ridiculousness of this whole event is that if Saul had not seen it, then these men, these army men, these men under his king are now going to defy their king to his face. And they are going to rebel and there's a mutiny. In Saul's own army. And it says verse 45. But the men said to Saul. Should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? What? Are you going to kill the guy who caused the deliverance? Who acted in faith where you didn't? And now you want to kill him because he broke your word? Never. They said. As surely as the Lord lives. Not a hair on his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued, they redeemed actually Jonathan and he was not put to death. And so Saul is devastated. Saul is alone. Saul is alone. God doesn't answer him. His men doesn't answer him. And when he wants to kill Jonathan for this ridiculous breaking his word where he was uh, excusing himself and not even aware of how he's broke God's word. Unbelief can put somebody in a place out of proportion to where they really should be. And so you see uh, the incredible uh, aspects of Saul's unbelief. And then again, verse 46, that stops him from going out and fighting and finishing the job. And then we get a summary and we'll pick this up again next week. But here shows us that Saul was a good soldier. And yet the interesting reality is that he inflicts punishment on everyone around him, but he never has a decisive victory. Like this day, he is a victory. And he often does it through brave men, and he often does it through men who have faith, faith. But he himself seems to be the reason why things just really never actually get to where they were supposed to be because of his unbelief. And then we are told about his family, and we introduced to some characters that we're going to pick up in the future. And then verse 52 again, as we saw last week, all the days of Saul, of Saul there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whatever Saul saw, a mighty brave man, he took he, him into his service. And there, again, it's a reminder that Saul, in one sense, thought that the victory comes through brave men fighting, not through the Lord. He will take your sons, he will take your sons, he will take your sons in, in, in chapter 8. And Saul fulfills all of those things. Here is a man of unbelief, a man that knows a lot of God's word, but a man who doesn't believe God. And so he gets the details wrong, he gets uh, over 
uh, overcommitted. He, get, he puts himself in the center. He makes rash decisions. He expects people to obey him, but he doesn't obey God. He's unaware of it. And that's what's so interesting. We not only see what Saul does, but we often also see what he doesn't do. And there is no repentance. And there's no asking for forgiveness. And there's no humility. And there's no asking and bowing before God and acknowledging any of his wrongs. And that is what unbelief does. It actually throws one into a huge confusion, doesn't it? Now, it's obviously true that it's easy to spot the failures of Saul in this passage and sometimes the failures of leaders than it is to spot one's own reality. But we started out this morning saying we want to look deeply, intently into the word of God, like we look into a mirror so that we can clearly see truth. Because the truth of God is there to set us free. So here on the one hand, we have what true faith is. That is to know who God's enemies is, to know that God is free to act as he wants, to know that God is able to bring about great salvation with many or with few. And on that basis, one acts and lives. Or like Saul, unbelief. Sits inactive, unsure to join, when eventually John becomes overbearing, makes rash decisions, thinks they can correct things by just doing one thing right, more or less right, more or less what God said, let's carry on, um, having to be reminded of what sin is and what to inquire of God and being completely unaware of his own sin and his own failure uh, and prepared to even take out the innocent one uh, because they've broken his word and he wants to show that uh, he's calling God to be his witness. It, it is just so sad, isn't it? And that's what you see. So one of the things we need to do with this passage is simply to sit there and ask God, God, are there things like this in my life? Am I overbearing? Am I using fear? Am I trying to intimidate people? Am I haphazard? Am I start-stop in my discipleship? Am I keen, not keen? Do I fluctuate? Do I find other people's mistakes? Do I try and catch other people's mistakes? Do I want to uh, blame other people for the failures uh, of my own uh, walk with you and being part of your kingdom and bringing your grace and truth and kindness to others as we saw last week? Uh, do I blame others? Do I excuse myself? Do I Am I oblivious uh, of these kinds of things? Can you see how incredibly important it is for us to have a deep look into the word of God? Because as you discover some of these things, the wonderful thing is if you're a truthful person, if the truth has caught you and it's exposed you, then the right thing to do is to confess it, isn't it? And to repent and to say, Lord, yes, this is so sad, but I'm a person like this. I have done this. I have failed you. I have failed to take your word. I have blamed others. I have tried to bind others. I have tried to intimidate others, whatever it may be. Uh, Lord, forgive me. And that's what we see, ultimately, that Jesus Christ is the king, so unlike Saul, who never came and bound people and frightened people and forced people. He actually came to serve and love people. He was fully convinced of what his father wanted from him, and he did it. He didn't, wasn't swayed by groups and people. He wasn't swayed by circumstances. Uh, he is the ultimate king, isn't it? And that's what we believe. That's what we understand. And that's the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where Saul and we and every other human fail, Jesus Christ always succeeds. He is the perfectly faithful one in all circumstances because he lived by faith in the Father. And that's why he is the source of salvation for us, which is even further interesting illustrated in the story. The one innocent person, Jonathan, is the one that Saul wants to kill. And wonderfully, he doesn't get killed because these other fairly weak, 
uh, sinners, uh, stands up at this stage at least against the king and says, we will not allow you to kill him. And they do the right thing. And they oppose uh, the insanity and the confusion uh, of Saul. And they save Jonathan. But here's the incredible thing. Jesus Christ is a kind of a Jonathan, but he's so much greater than Jonathan, isn't it? Because he is the truly innocent one that has never sinned. And yet he has come to willingly lay down his life so that he may ransom us who has failed. It is him who ransom us. It's not him who needs to be ransomed. And so in that sense, Jesus Christ fulfills the entire word of God for us. And that's the freedom, isn't it? The truth. When you look deeply into the word of God, you see the shame and failure that each human has. And as we read, we see the wonder, the grace, the truth, the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself, the truly innocent one, gladly, willingly, freely can be laid down his life so that we who are guilty can be forgiven. I hope that God's word grabs hold of your heart and you think this through and you bring all the things and you experience the freedom of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Not only one day, but moment by moment as you walk with him. So I pray that God would encourage you to keep on deeply looking into the word of God so that you may experience the freedom that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the unbelievable reality of what we see here. We find that it's so easy for us to fluctuate, to be inactive, to sit on the sides, to criticize others, to try and intimidate others, to force others to join us, to blame others for our failure, to uh, be unaware of our own sin. So Lord, we do want to thank you that you show us the good and the bad. And ultimately you've come to save us from our sin, from our good and our bad. And so, Lord, to you indeed belong all the glory and all the thanks. And we thank you for the fact that we can ask you, strengthen us, help us to sit and to deeply look into your word and give us that freedom that comes from the truth of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope that you stirred. I hope that you encouraged. I hope that you are ready to wrestle deeply with God's word and to allow him to expose you and to allow you to bring uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and take this incredible message to the world because Jesus Christ has come to save even those who have failed in faith so that they may by faith in him be saved. Have a great day and we hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.